time for a good Friday edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, April 6th, 2012. Now, earlier in the week, I had not intended to do a broadcast today. Um, I changed my mind and thought we would do something along the lines of what we did yesterday, a Good Friday devotional. And I'm working frantically here to get this posted early for Good Friday. In fact, the closer you live to Hawaii, the closer you'll have to getting this in the morning. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, what we're going to do today is something similar to what we did yesterday. It's not a pirate liturgy. I don't want you to think of it that way. But I do understand how busy many of you are and that many of you will not have the opportunity to get to, get to church today or tonight. And, uh, you know, your busy schedules, I, I, I get it. And so the idea here is is that I want to provide a devotional, if you would, a, a Good Friday devotional. And it's a little bit of a hodgepodge the way yesterday was. We're going to do some scripture reading. We're going to be reading from the Psalms. We're going to be reading from Hosea, from Isaiah, from the Gospel of John, from the Book of Lamentations, and uh, and the the idea here is we're going to be building up. We're going to, we're going to be listening to some hymns along the way. I will provide a PDF for you to download uh, while you're uh, listening to this edition of Fighting for the Faith to follow along. If you don't have a hymnal and you would like to. Uh, at least be able to read or maybe even sing privately the the hymns uh, that are provided. And then we're going to have two small sermons, actually, uh, one by uh, Pastor uh, Sivan Manon and uh, the other by Jeremy Rohde that are interspersed in today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. And the idea is this, is that um, it's one thing to rail against and the poverty that exists in the church today. Uh, there's a lot of darkness and it's it's something a little bit different, if you would, uh, more than a little bit, uh, to to light a candle or to provide something that's rich and in depth. And so, uh, you know, what we do here at Fighting for the Faith, this is a teaching program, and we teach by good example as well as by bad example. And so, the idea here is this: is that this is going to be all about you again, pausing, stopping. Resting, listening, believing. What the, the passages that we're going to be going through today are at the very heart and center of the gospel because the gospel tells us that God loves us and that he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And many times because of life's circumstances, the sufferings that we experience, um, you know, the, the the struggles with our own si- uh, sinful flesh, uh, you know, it's it's really easy to come to the conclusion that God is mad at you, that He really wants to take you and put you outside out on the cement and squash you like a bug. Truly, that's what you deserve. But. These readings today, this these gospel texts, tell us a different story. That God, pardon the the, the pun here, but God is hell bent on saving you. And and I think that's the right way of putting it. He's hell bent on saving you. He is he basically takes on all of the punishment for your sin, propitiates the wrath of God. And so we can look to what Christ has done and know that despite our circumstances, despite the struggle that we have daily with our sin, with death, the devil, even our own doubts, that God truly, truly is hell-bent on saving us. And so Good Friday is really about all the hell that Christ literally suffered drinking to the dregs the full wine of the fury of the wrath of God for you and for me. And so what we're going to do today, again, is similar to what we did yesterday. 
Sit back. Relax. There's nothing for you to, to do here. Except for hear. Listen. And believe. Because all this good news. All of this that you are going to hear today. This is for you. It is for you. Done by our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ. So let's begin. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Hymn number 436 from the Lutheran service book, Go to Dark Gethsemane.
Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come up to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13 through chapter 53 verse 12 Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence." and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for transgressors. Hymn number 451 from the Lutheran Service Book, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted.
here's the first sermon, a sermon by Pastor Cy Van Manen of Riverbend Lutheran Church in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. From Isaiah 52 and 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sp sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. We continue with prayer as is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Merciful and everlasting God, you did not spare your own son, but delivered up for us to bear sin on the cross. Grant that our hearts may be so fixed with steadfast faith in him that we fear not the power of sin, death, and the devil. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Dear friends, one year ago uh, today, I stood by the bedside of a 19-year-old young man as he lay dying in the hospital. He had more equipment attached to him than I have ever seen. All of it working hard to keep him alive. But no matter how hard it was working, no matter how hard those machines worked, they were not working. He was dying. Two weeks before, he was a healthy young man, vibrant. A son, a boyfriend, a brother, and a friend. I stood by his bedside as his family crowded into that little ICU room. They were looking for words of wisdom, for explanation, for comfort as the realization hit home that this young man was not getting out of that bed and would live no more. I was also reminded that because of our sin, we are all headed to the grave. As I walked past the family and friends in the hallway that day, I could hear the whispers, Good Friday! What is good about it? And other people saying, Easter will never be the same for these people again. 
The mother of the boy hugged me as I walked into the ICU room and protested. And she said, I am not pleased, Sai. I am not pleased at all. My heart was breaking for her and those gathered around. There was nothing that could be done for that young man that had not already been tried. The nurse coached me and she said that as I did my service over the body of the boy, they would disconnect the machines from the power source, allowing him to die while I spoke. The realization struck me again as the nurse nodded at me to begin that we were all going to die. The weight of both the moment of this young man's death and the day on which it happened seemed an odd contradiction. David's words from the psalm came to mind. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Maybe not today, I thought. Maybe not today. Maybe the people I passed in the hallway were right. Good Friday. What makes it good? 2,000 years ago, there was a man who hung dying on a cross. Everything the Romans could think of to torture and hurt this man was done to him. A more painful and torturous way to die could not have been invented by man. There were false accusations against him by his own people. There was mocking and beating by Roman soldiers. He was spit upon by soldiers and crowds. He was reviled by the mob and even those crucified with him. This man was made to carry his own cross and then pinned to it with nails. He was lifted up on it and slowly suffocated as he bore the weight of his own body with his own pierced limbs. This man was innocent of sin but did not open his own mouth in protest. Those who should have protected him did not protest either. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted, this man died alone, forsaken, disfigured, and bearing the weight of the sin of the whole world and death upon him. We call today Good Friday. Dear friends, really, what is good about it? As Christians... You and I both know that this day is aptly named Good Friday. For on this day, Christ, the King of all creation, died so that his creation might live and never die. That boy, though we stood and wept over his body as he died, because of Good Friday, he will not remain dead, but will live because of the faith that God placed in him as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That Friday that Jesus died was good because Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Death has no hold over us and whether we die at age 9 or 99, the payment for our sin has been made and we have peace knowing the doors of heaven have been opened for the sake of him who spent his life for us on that Friday, on that cross. Good Friday. What is good about it? That day on the cross, sin was atoned for. God's wrath was assuaged. The law was filled up. Death was conquered. And we were saved. Your death is now nothing more than stepping from this life to eternal life with Jesus. That is not just good. It is great. Good Friday is good news. Your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold! 
the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic it's called Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him and crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write King of the Jews, but rather that this man said that I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Here is Pastor Jeremy Rohde of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. Tetelestai, Jesus cried. It is finished. And it was. His work was complete. He had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He had been wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. The atonement was made, the sacrifice complete. The Lamb of God lay dead and bleeding for your sins and mine. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was finished. But it was not over. 
The universe stood still. The prophets held their breath. The angels covered their eyes. Why? Because a single soldier now marched toward the Lamb of God to break his legs. And why would that matter? Because according to God, God's own word, the only Passover lamb acceptable to him is a lamb without a single broken bone. You shall not break any of its bones, the Lord solemnly commands. It is finished, but it is not over. The soldiers were on the move. They came and broke the legs of the first man. Jesus was in the middle. Would he be next? Would our Passover lamb have its legs broken and thus be rendered an unacceptable sacrifice to the Lord? The soldiers now moved toward Jesus, but they passed by him and broke the legs of the other man who had been crucified. Two down, one to go. Jesus would be next. It was the Jews who had asked that their legs be broken. The very next day was the Sabbath, the high day of the week-long Passover feast. Could it be that they had heard the Baptist sermon, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Could it be that they had eaten the Passover, careful not to break a single bone in their lamb? Could it be that they knew the one way to make sure that Jesus' death would not be an acceptable sacrifice? That this Jesus was not really the Lamb of God? Or does that just sound too devilishly devious, too satanically smart? Yes, that's exactly what it sounds like. If the Scriptures are to be fulfilled, then not one of His bones will be broken. Break one little bone and break the Scriptures. Satan might have allowed himself a little smile at that thought. The one who had bested him in the wilderness hangs dead. The one who had cast out his demons left and right with nothing but a word now bows his head in death. The lamb is dead. That deadly mouth of his has been silenced. And now, for the final stroke, to render all of his unblemished life and sacrificial death null and void by breaking a single bone. It all comes down to one final hammer stroke. But the hammer never swung. Why? Because the soldiers suddenly had compassion on the body they'd been torturing for hours? Why? Because the soldiers knew for certain that he was already dead? No. The spear thrust into his side puts an end to both of those theories. Why is the hammer never swung? There is only one reason. Because the word of God cannot be broken. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again another scripture says, They will look on him whom they pierced. The Word of God cannot be broken. You mean Satan, 
the God of this world, the greatest of all deceivers, and all of his evil horde couldn't tempt a single one of those sinful pagan soldiers to swing that hammer. No, they could not, because the word of God cannot be broken. The scriptures tell it all. Not one of his bones will be broken. They will look on him whom they have pierced. For centuries upon centuries, those words stood, declaring exactly what would happen that Friday afternoon. And when that spear was thrust cruelly into Jesus' side, it might just as well have been thrust right through Satan's heart. Jesus' death was a sacrifice acceptable to God. He truly was the Passover lamb. Born in a lambing cave on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Born amongst the very same lambs that are taken to Jerusalem to be sacrificed. Born to Mary, this little unblemished lamb. Yes, Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. Born to be sheared of his fleece, stripped of his clothes, that he might clothe others. Though your sins are as scarlet, he shall clothe you with his fleece, fleece as white as snow. Born to have our sins laid upon him. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Born to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Born to be our Passover lamb. That is what the scripture itself calls him. What does it mean that he is your Passover lamb? Take it from John, the eyewitness of his crucifixion, who tells us that not one of his bones was broken, that he was pierced and blood and water flowed from his side. John writes, and the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, he who accused them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb, dear Christians, your accuser has been silenced. By the blood of the Lamb, your sins have been atoned for and put away. By the blood of the Lamb and by His blood only, He has given you the victory. What does it mean that He is your Passover Lamb? It means that He gives His life so that you might live. It means that He gives His body for you to eat and paints His blood on the doorway of your lips so that the angel of death will merely pass over you. It means that you should not get too comfortable in this world, but eat with your sandals on because the great exodus from the grave is about to begin. Tonight is a night of darkness, like the night of the first Passover, like the night on which he was betrayed, 
like the darkness that covered Golgotha. But in the midst of the darkness, we hear a voice. Not one of his bones shall be broken. They shall look on him whom they have pierced. It is the very word of God. And so we know the Lamb has given himself for us. And by his blood, we will overcome. In the midst of the darkness, we hear a voice. And neither life nor death nor Satan himself can overcome it. Tetelestai, we hear him cry. And we know that this word of God cannot be broken. It is finished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. O Lord, may those who seek you not be put to shame. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hymn number 425, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. <laughs> 